Hey SEOs and content marketers, say goodbye to crazy spreadsheet mashups and experience unprecedented connectivity between your SEO planning and reporting data. Introducing Audience Key, technology for keyword mapping, content brief automation, and rank tracking that form an SEO strategy system providing unparalleled feedback loops between planning, reporting, and optimization activities. Put your time and energy into strategy, not data upkeep. Visit audiencekey.com and apply for a free trial today. Media, Christine Schackinger from Sites Without Walls, and we have a show today that straddles the AI world, the search world, um, uh, a lot of um, new concerns raised around AI, as well as a lot of really interesting new use cases around AI, and uh, tons, tons, and tons, and tons of new announcements from Google. Um, and uh, just a quick reminder, 57 days, 10 hours and zero minutes from now, Universal Analytics um, stops recording and Google Anal Analytics 4 takes over. Oh. So as anyone who's looked at their Google Analytics profiles recently, have you logged into Google Analytics, Analytics recently, Christine? Not the new version. <laughs> well, if you, if you if you go to Universal Analytics, just log into Google Analytics. You get you get met with a countdown clock. Yes. Yeah. A I mean, if you if you if you want to scare somebody, give them a countdown clock, because uh, we are fifty-seven days, nine hours, and fifty-five minutes away from uh, Universal Analytics um, dodoing itself. Yeah, and you know, it must be a lot of people are not moving over because they've offered to do it for you. They um, have been giving you reminders and now they have a countdown clock. So I see a lot of people have not moved over yet. I, I, I think Google is getting the message that people aren't um, happy with universal with with the new uh, Google Analytics four. So much so that they've uh, today announced that for everybody, regardless, it doesn't matter if you're on the enterprise suite or you're on the uh, the, the, the the free version that 99.9% of everybody uses, um, historic data is going to be available for one year at one year after they they, they, they they close it down. So everybody's got access to historic data. If you're on the premium suite, um, Universal Analytics, GA3, the one that, that you're currently using will keep recording stuff, but they want you on GA4, the, the new Google Analytics. And if you're on the free service, you will be on Google Analytics 4. They'll make the account for you, like Christine said, they'll take all the settings you have now for good or for ill and port them over. Now, here's the catch. You might want to check your conversion um, settings because they have different met, different metrics mean slightly different things in the different environments. So if Google's going to be setting up uh, the GA4 account from your UA3 um, <laughs> settings, it might be exactly what you want. 
Yeah, I also heard that there's some issues, and I don't know what they are. I'd have to look into it, but some issues with the way Google sets it up. So um, you may want to look into that before you do that. And if you want to keep all your historic data, there are uh, other analytics programs out there that will import in your historic data, which could be important in the future. So you might want to look into those as well as a secondary <laughs> analytics. Gonna be, tell you what, it's going to be awfully important this time next year. <laughs> yes. Exactly. And and because we just went through the pandemic, the last two years data that you have is not that useful. So um, having your historic data, if you have a company with a long history, is going to be more helpful because you're going to want that data from 2019, early 20, maybe even 18, 17, even farther back than that. Um, because 20, you know, 2020 to 2022 are definitely way off because so many people are at home and even part of 2023 is not. 100% normal, so. Well, actually, I'm pretty yeah. sure everything since 2008 has been pretty damn abnormal. But <laughs> like, yeah, you're, what you're coming at, you know, it just, it just occurred to me as you were saying that uh, historians in the future, um, my, 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 my first major at, at university was, was in histories and historians in the future are going to just be overwhelmed with like beha uh, behavior data. Um, from this time, from the from the pandemic time, just this what an amazing study. Um, just found in uh, Google UA historic data, which Google is a really good reason for you to let all of us have it forever. You know, so we can make it available to researchers in the future, just like you'd want oh, us to. There you go. It's a good argument, <laughs> eh? Good argument. <laughs> I think so. But Google's got some uh, some serious challenges ahead of it. Um, we all do. Search or, or AI is changing things so rapidly and it's so ubiquitous and it's so everywhere that it's really hard to tell what is and isn't AI influenced anymore. And it's only been like what? Six months. Uh, six months. Yeah. Since, since, oh. since AI was introduced in the public sphere, the godfather of, uh, of AI, Jeffrey Hinton, he, uh, I mean, this, his concerns are so manifest that he um, he quit his job at Google, where he was he was he was leading a machine learning research. He quit his job at Google uh, just so that he could speak out about um, the dangers of AI. Though it's worth noting, he's going out of his way to suggest Google is being more responsible with its use of AI than others. But he's yeah. I mean, the godfather of AI is really worried about the future of, well, um, the rapid development of generative AI products is a race towards danger um, that, you know, well, like I said, like I said just a few minutes ago, it's hard to tell what is and isn't AI influenced, what is and isn't true anymore. Yeah, and for, for people who don't know his history, he's the person who developed the basis for any of the current generative AI, like the ChatGPT. And uh, how long has he been doing this? Since, like Since the, the 80s? 90s. A 90s. So the first, I, I, there was a very interesting interview, if anyone wants to look it up, on CBS this morning, uh, on their, I think it's their Sunday edition with him. It's, it's a 40-minute interview. Yeah, and it talks about the whole history, like especially like large language models. I didn't know came out in like the 80s. I had no idea. So it's very interesting, but he did, he wanted to be very clear in his Twitter post that, like you said, that Google, he feels Google is doing things responsibly. And we've talked about that in the past, but that he didn't leave because 
Google wouldn't let him talk, but he didn't want to have anything that he says affect Google, his employer. So that's why he left the job so that he could speak without causing any, any harm to them because he's working for them. So uh, he, did, he didn't want people to think he was told he couldn't speak. Christine mentioned a, a 40 minute long video that CBS Morning uh, filmed with him. I think the film was, was back from, from early March. Um, it's so absolutely worth watching just to understand uh, Hinton's history, um, the history of um, the branches of uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence that he pioneered and where, where they have gone to. Um, and uh, in fact, his, his protege is partially responsible for OpenAI. One of his proteges was, is, is one of the lead developers of OpenAI. Um, and uh, uh, again, the, the, he outlines his concerns so well. And I really, really, really wish I had watched that video before I wrote my email to him requesting our interview with him. Because <laughs> he wrote back a, a terse two-word two word, two word reply, uh, too busy. <laughs> and <laughs> I understand why. Though. But he did write back, which was which was really sweet. Right back, most most yeah. people don't. Um, yeah, most <laughs> and you know, um, interesting. Also, a former open AI researcher also came out this week to kind of say the same thing Hinton is, maybe in a slightly different way. But um, his name is Cristiano, and he runs the nonprofit Alignment Research Center, and he ran the language model alignment team at OpenAI, and. Um, and then he has somebody else he, who is speaking out too from that group. And I'm sure I cannot say the name properly. It's Eliza Yudukowski, Y-U-D-K-O-W-S-K-Y. But both of them, um, both groups, Hinton and then also Christiana and his people have come out to say that um, AI will probably kill all humans. <laughs> it's like, I've seen this in multiple, though. I've seen this in multiple researchers. They, his probability of that is low, 10 to 20 percent. I've seen researchers, researchers who have said they believe it's 100 percent at some point. Uh, I didn't understand why they thought this because, hey, can't we just shut it all down? But apparently, if we get to not what we have now, which is just like text models, uh, if we get into generative uh, AI intelligence, it would be able to suck up all the world's information. And it could actually get outside the computer system into bio systems, which is just crazy. The, theoretically, if it starts to be able to write its own code and then is able to insert its own code into other operating systems, then yes, it could. Well, but actually, the one the one researcher is talking using CRISPR. Mm -hmm. it, which would yeah. be incredible. Then it's into yeah. every living system that, uh, that, 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 exactly. that, that exists. Um, <laughs> but again, that's all theoretical. Right? Yeah, it's theoretical. But a lot but of all this people... has to be thought about, and it hasn't been thought about. And that's yeah. the perhaps the crux of the greatest sets of concerns about how AI is developing, how rapidly it's developing. And well, it's kind of developing without training wheels or guardrails. Um, so yeah, much so that there's a meeting today, happening today at the White House, um, Vice President uh, Kamala Harris and um, the chief execs of um, Alphabet's team, Google, uh, Google's team and uh, Microsoft's OpenAI and um, Anthropic teams are meeting with, uh, with Harris um, and the administration to talk about issues around AI. Uh, yeah, they're talking about uh, what they can do to uh, do things like keep bias out of it and what they should do to regulate it, uh, how they should 
um, what controls they should put on it and how they can also maybe even slow it down. So it's a it's the first step, but there is an open commentary uh, or public opinion, you know, where you can public comment on things that the White House is considering. Uh, and so people can make public comment based on what they think about it. But yeah, they definitely see that it's necessary. I and you both we both know that, you know, this is definitely something that has to be looked at. But they will uh, discuss key artificial intelligence issues today. And so we'll see what happens. But they are looking at account they they are seeking public comment on their accountability measure measures for AI systems. Boy, I'm tripping over my own tongue today. <laughs> Something I find really interesting. Um, I, 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 my first thought was, oh my goodness, these people don't even understand how the internet works. But in, in, by and large, maybe they do, maybe they don't. Um, but right now, or I guess six months ago, most of us were at ground zero at the emergence hour of what is to the vast majority of the people, a very brand new technology that they had read about in science fiction, but hadn't considered in their real lives. It's in their real lives now. So we're all kind of these people who quote unquote, don't even know how the internet works. You know, you, you want you watch some of the Senate hearings and it's just terrifying to think that they legislate on, on, on the environment we work in. But um, in this case, with, with, with AI, we're kind of all at the same starting point with different degrees of understanding perhaps, but it's all, hitting us fresh um, at the same time, all the implications, the fears, the um, promises, etc. So maybe we'll have um, better understandings coming from from administration officials. Well, what they where this started is the National Telecommunication, yeah, I cannot speak today, <laughs> National Telecommunications and Information Administration, a Commerce Department agency who advises the White House on telecommunications um, wanted input on the growing, quote, growing regulatory interest in the AI accountability mechanism. They want to know if there's measures that could be put in place to provide assurance that AI systems are legal, effective, ethical, safe, and otherwise trustworthy. Um, they know that they could bring big benefits, but also there's going to be huge potential for harm. And so that's what kind of got this started. And I do think by bringing in, you know, the White House, by bringing in all the major players right now in this industry you know they're definitely seeking to understand it in a proper way that doesn't mean when it gets down to the making laws about it stage that that'll be the same um we know some people don't understand how email works but um, from one congressional hearing but uh but it is it is at least a step in the right direction uh also coming out of this um chat uh, chat, uh gpt5 is not going to be worked on right now well, yeah. Um, they stopped trading it. They stopped working with it. What have they done? They've they've sandboxed it effectively. Uh, basically, they uh, apparently from comments made by Sam Altman, he's starting to realize the implications. Um, so they're going to continue to work on GPT four, but not GPT five. Uh, in fact, they've totally halted any work on on five. And the reason is the a letter that was written uh, was it last month or the month before where uh, all these research thousand people came out, academics, researchers, people in the field saying we need to put a pause. Um, they were worried about GPT-5 because GT GPT-5 they thought would be artificial um, generation. A generational yeah. artificial intelligence Gener that yeah. could be that unstoppable force. Yes, that it could suck up all the world's information and then we start on down the path of do we, does it destroy us? We don't know yet. 
so uh, so that was the one that they're really concerned with. It's called AGI. Um, so it's not about generative text, you know, which is Mad Libs with semantics. Um, this is this is yeah, this is stuff that could like write code and act on its own and would have more intelligence than any one human being on Earth and could do it, in, you know, could access everything in an instant and how rapidly that could advance and we wouldn't even be able to control it. So that's why people were worried and that's why they wrote those the petition to slow it down. So apparently he has now heard those those concerns and has decided maybe it is not a good idea right now to work on five. That's most interesting. Um, yeah. I guess, you know, I could see the position Altman put himself in. Um, mm -hmm. he's, 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 he's working um, in a, uh, how to say this, He's almost like he's painted into a corner by the Frankenstein of his own creation, eh? Like, like it's so, so potentially powerful. I'm, so, I'm I still have a, have have every belief that we can work on these technologies and control them. Although I'm very much leaning towards they need to be regulated before we go much further. Um, and when you have people like FTC chair chair uh, person uh, Lena Khan. Um, noting or musing perhaps that there is no quote-unquote ai exemption in existing laws um yeah it sort of it kind of gives pause so what that means is there's nothing in existing laws that talks about what can be done with ai um, well no it also means that yeah but it also means that any any current law ai is it applies to ai so if it's biased, let's say you decide to use AI in hiring process and it has bias, you're you're a foul of the law. You're still you're still bound to yeah, uh, federal yeah. law. Yeah, exactly. So so you can you might try. Let's say you want to use it for legal documents or for hiring or for you know um, grading tests, whatever. And it's determined that it somehow ran afoul of the laws, like you know racial bias or. Um, any of the protected statuses or whatever it happens to be, um, they will come after you just the same as if a human being did the thing. So it'd be, it's, as I always say, my, my problem with how people are approaching this is they're using it to replace humans or replace work. Uh, use it as an assistant, that's great, but there should always be human oversight and there should always be human input because otherwise you could find yourself a foul of the law and in court and you're like, well, yeah, I did it. And FTC is like, we don't care. But if you're if you're if you're Altman at all, um, your tool did that, and um, even if even if your lawyers get you out of responsibility some way or another, it's going to be real expensive. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it can probably those there's a whole slew of problems that I'm I'm, I'm sure that even 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 uh, uh, that I'm sure they can that. They can see that uh, they 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 can work to avoid. Just if there was only some technology, they could ask ahead of time what pitfalls might we fall into here. Um, <laughs> I have a feeling, though. You know, I've worked in startup environments, and when people are like really excited about a product, and they got all excited, and they couldn't get funding, so let's release it to the world because hey, what could happen? And they didn't really think about what could happen. Um, I'm just saying that from a personal view. I don't know that for a fact, but. Uh, judging from his backtracking lately, I don't think they gave full thought, you know, like did the whole chess game out in their minds of what could happen. And so, um, 
So now it's been released and now we have to deal with it. And you're right, he painted himself into a corner because, I mean, there's even been a death associated with somebody conversing with ChatGPT who committed suicide after the conversation. So um, there are massive ramifications that have to be considered with technology that's new, unregulated and without guardrails. And I just don't think they were considered before it was released. And now people are having to consider them. So, you know, you might sit back and ask yourself, what's the worst that could happen in this, in this, in this or that situation? Um, how about not having any entertainment for quite a while or any fresh entertainment for quite a while? The uh, AI is everywhere, including the writer's room. And there's the uh, writer's strike, the, 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 um, uh, 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 Writers Union is on strike um, again, and uh, uh, I think this is the first time in 15 years, but I remember 15 years ago, the impact that the writer's strike had was manifest, it was massive. And this time AI plays a uh, fairly big role in, in, in um, a couple of the concerns that the writers have moving forward. And what the writers are concerned about, tech workers and other creatives should also look at and think about how what the writers union is looking at might be applicable to their sectors and their careers as well. You saw that you saw that story in uh, in Mashable or um, the 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 other one that I think was in. Um, uh, uh, sorry, there was the Mashable story and the TechCrunch story. Um, the, uh, the studios are, um, thinking, literally thinking about, you remember how, how, how we've, we've said, if you're going to be making content, like, and you're going to be using AI, go for it, but make sure a human edits it. The studios are suggesting that perhaps, um, they should be using AI to write sitcoms and write TV content and have writers edit it by the hour. And that pretty much kills the careers of like, you know, um, all the writers who make the content that, 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 that we watch in, 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 in what's been considered one of the most golden age, ages of television in television history. One of the writers uh, likened it to the uberfication of high level writing. I think that's a concern. I think that that that, that um... so so one of the writers in that the article quoted C. Robert Cargill put it well. He said the immediate fear of AI isn't that us writers will have our work replaced by artificially generated content. It's that we will be underpaid to rewrite that trash into something we could have done better from the start. This is what the WGA is opposing and the studios want. So studios being big corporations want to save as much money as possible and think that, you know, ChatGPT can write it just fine as long as they have some editors in there. Uh, and that's one of the things in their proposal that that's not allowed. So that they, um, in, the, in their proposal, uh, they want to regulate the use of artificial intelligence on MBA covered project products. That's the Guild's minimum basic agreement. And AI, it says AI can't write or rewrite literary material, can't be used as source material, and MBA covered material can't be used to train AI. I'm fine with that because truly, do you really want a bunch of like shows that are like, let's do write something like Seinfeld, but not Seinfeld. Let's 
stage in here and chat GPT writes it all like Actually, I to be quite honest, I'm sick of shows like that. I've I found exactly. I found most of my life the entertainment the entertainment industry has been populated by that exact kind of thinking, and I do not want to see machines do that in place of humans. Exactly. I like I like a show because like oh this writer wrote it. Like could you imagine West West Wing not being written by? Oh my gosh, his name just slipped my mind. <laughs> He's amazing. If Aaron Sorkin. Didn't yes, have you. pounds and pounds and pounds of cocaine hanging around his writing room. <laughs> Probably. We Probably. wouldn't have great shows like The West Wing, and uh, you know what? That's that. That's probably true. But um, um, the coke part, not not the. Yeah, uh, yeah, we're just joking. But but the the. But the human made like that. We... That was that was incredibly creative, yeah. and and a machine could not have written that writing. No, because the people have to remember the. The large language models is what which we're talking about. They're not really AI. They just fall under the umbrella of AI. Um, they can only summarize and synthesize what already exists. It's not like they're going to create something new and innovative. You're not going to get Breaking Bad out of ChatGPT, right? So, um, but the studios won't care if they can get enough people to watch it. I, the, the writers' fears, I think, are well founded. If the studio could get 10 million people to watch oh, something, indeed. they didn't they're, have to create it right. They're absolutely well-funded. I think teachers should be afraid of this. I think that uh, uh, software developers should be worried. I think um, everybody who has made a career out of putting their brains to the keyboard needs to be concerned about um, somebody trying to save money, make money by saving money um, off of what we ourselves would have done. Now, here's the thing, it's going to happen. Um, even with regulation, um, the nature of our economy dictates that those with the means of production will do their damnedest to save money at every stage of production because that's how they make money. Can we, can we just say though, there is another factor in that that we always forget about. Mm. I know it's a pipe dream, but still. Mm. The people that buy the content can refuse to to support the capitalist corporations who want to exploit the writers and make them rewrite ChatGPT to save themselves a buck. And by the way, I think the like six biggest Hollywood people made something like seven hundred million dollars in salary last year. So it's not that's like not, by the way, that's not a pipe dream. What you're saying isn't a pipe dream. People will pay for good content. They will pay for premium content. HBO proved that years ago. Um, if it's something that, uh, and, and every content creator, every, every, every YouTuber out there, every TikToker out there, everyone who, again, puts their brains to the keyboard for a living, you got to up your game. No question about that. Um, there's going to be a lot more craptastic content being pumped onto the web. Um, like, I can't even imagine how much is going to be put out there. Right. But if you make it better, you know what? Oh, here's an example. I'm fascinated with history. Um, there's a series of lectures on Roman history that I find extraordinary, mostly because of the way the lecturer phrases the history. It's simple, Livy. I mean, if you've read Livy, you've read, you've, you understand this history. But this guy, the way he does it is so compelling. I'd listen, I'd listen to this guy read the phone book because he'd make it funny, <laughs> make it interesting. Yeah. Um, Roman history, believe me, is not always funny or compelling. Sometimes it's quite dry and boring. But this lecturer has found a way to make me listen to the entire history of Rome. You can do that. 
but you got to be good at it and you got to up your game. That's what, that's what uh, AI is going to do to the writers. Um, but how their union settles this strike with the, with the, uh, the corporations will dictate how software developers get treated in the future. Or SEOs well, how many for that working, Yeah, or, well, yeah, that's a whole different thing, right? But um, yeah, I think that the, I think the WGA's requests are reasonable. Uh, I support them. I, I'm going to miss my late night television, but uh, I find that uh, it's better to support the real writers and <laughs> than to like side with the, let's replace them all with ChatGPT. Uh, so I hopefully they can come to an agreement soon, but I think that their, their AI requests are pretty basic, you know, don't use our content to train, don't rewrite our content with AI and don't expect us to edit it for $8 an hour. You know? Yeah, indeed. And I hope they hold out. I hope they win. I, I, uh, I have a hard time seeing, seeing their content not being used to train AI in the future because it's going to be, but, uh, and they're going to be I, mad at it. They should get paid for it. Um, I have a feeling that there's going to be a time in the near future where you're going to have some way to opt out of being trained on. I could be wrong, but I think that's going to be one of the basic things that the government is probably going to legislate, like some some tag on your content or some like, you know, like we can tell Google not to index a page by putting a no index tag or putting in the robots text. I have a feeling. There's Lawrence Lessing when we need him. <laughs> so I have a feeling there's something that's going to come out to that effect. It could be wrong, but that's my thought. Okay, let's. You know what? We got to jump on to Google. We've been, we've been half a show on AI, and uh, no, I mean, Google, Google is AI, really. But um, <laughs> but there's a whole bunch of other stuff that's happened at Google. Um, Wait, before Google, can we do the one quick thing on Elon Musk and NPR? Uh, it's a little dirty <laughs> when I talk about Elon Musk. It's just gross. Okay, I yeah, go know. for it. Go, please go for it. Let's get it out of the way. <laughs> the other way because this could happen to anybody so people should be aware especially if you have a corporate brand so npr was tagged with a um, well he changed it a couple times but basically he tried to insinuate that npr didn't have editorial control over its content and the government tells them what to write which is 100 percent not true and their government funding is one percent and it's through grants but so they decided they're no longer going to tweet from their account like much like many other public broadcasters by the way cbc um mm -hmm. bbc uh, uh australian broadcasting all of them have removed themselves from twitter exactly and i believe i'd have to check this to be sure but i believe i read that npr has something around 10 million like followers or active users something of that nature so uh elon musk sent out a notice to them this week if they don't start tweeting he's just going to give away their their id their brand so someone, anyone could pick up NPR and be NPR's brand with all, of course, the historical content in there as well. So uh, so just be aware that I don't think he could get away with it legally. I think in court, he'd probably lose because uh, there's things around branding online that help protect your brand. But, you know, he could. And so you should just be aware that, uh, that he could just decide to give away your moniker one day because you're not tweeting <laughs> if you're big enough brand. Which I think is, um, I you know what the courts will be deal, will deal will deal with that. That's 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 definitely actionable. Yeah. Um, there's so much intellectual property and brand that is tied up in what was essentially the public square. Um, yeah. Making a a threat like that is um, extraordinary. And the weirdest thing is, you know, Musk. Oh, 
the frustrating <laughs> thing about Musk is I actually understand the way he thinks. He's a he, he his formative years were actually spent in uh, Toronto and Montreal in Canada. I get the attitude, like totally. I I I, I do. I just he just doesn't see every dimension um the importance of the veracity of 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 information he understands the absurdity of information most certainly and you know let's, let's oh, face it most of the most of the information passed around about the way we do things in this world is freaking absurd it's stupid at its heart it's just dumb and he gets that and exploits it but he doesn't well, understand how important truth amongst that absurdity is. Especially on Twitter. Because Twitter is definitely a place where truth is supposedly, you know, prevalent. Like you could talk to the news reporter, you could talk to the publication, you could talk to the celebrity, and they're they're actually saying their own words, right? And they're not hearing it from somebody else. Uh, you know, it's an interesting thing. As people gain power, they've done studies on this, their empathy centers decrease. So you have to be very cautious, like to Keep your empathy, empathy centers going strong when you have a lot of money or power. So I just think that that could be a play too. I don't think he understands human beings very well at this point. I don't think he's able to empathize. Indeed. Yeah. So Musk did something incredibly stupid and very possibly actionable if he actually does it. But he does that every day. Good God. This is yeah, just a big things, one. Yeah, because most things he gets away with because it's just like the SEC slaps him with a fine. In this case, he's starting to take a brand away. I, and unfortunately, NPR would have to waste money on court, but hopefully he'll just back off that because it was so, anytime he gets a lot of backlash, he tends to back off the thing that he was going to do. Yep. So hopefully he does that because NPR provides a very good service. Um, most most cowards are like that. They threaten a lot of stuff. And then when it comes yeah. down to actually pulling the trigger, they don't. Yeah, exactly. Uh, with lawsuits at any rate. Okay, this one's fun. Let's get, 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 Elon Musk is going to bury himself within within the next three years. 100% oh, you give it that happen. long? I, I, I think in a year. <laughs> Just because he's sold so much of him, his, his wealth and his fortune yeah. to, to maintain Twitter. He's down to 13% ownership in, in uh, Tesla. What is um, definitely threatened, but around to stay pretty much forever is Google. And uh, I want to jump to all the Google stories because there's so much yes. more fun. This <laughs> one I love. This one, this one I love, especially because of the way Google's doing it. Um, Google's released uh, uh, eight new top-level domains. You know, .com, .net, .biz, .ca, .co.uk, etc. Top-level domains, T TLDs. Um, these ones are .dad, .phd, .prof, .esquire for the lawyer in you, .foo, .zip dot mov and dot nexus uh dot mum has been available since 2015 but the eight ones are important and the reason they're important is they're available to register as of today but and here's the important <laughs> thing there's a the moment okay so you can imagine the moment a new top level domain uh comes available um best dot dad becomes like really, really valuable, right? Um, something like that. Greatest dad, dot dad, becomes like incredibly valuable just because it's a phrase. So if you want in today at, well, two hours ago, two and a half hours ago, it will cost you $11,500 plus $30 a year for the domain. If you get in tomorrow, 
at 12 p.m. It'll cost you $3,500 plus oh, wait, $30 a year for the domain. I think, I think we're off a day. Today's the fourth. Oh, so I'm sorry if you got in yesterday. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So if you get in today, it's <laughs> 3500 okay. You missed greatest dot dad. So did I. Um, <laughs> if you get in, if you get in tomorrow, it's uh, 1150 If you get in on the 6th, it's uh, 350 plus 30 a year. On the 5th, 125 plus 30 a year. Uh, I'm sorry, on the 8th, that's 125 plus 30 a year. And if you can hold out until the 10th, um, it's free, $30 a year, but you won't have to pay to be among the first to get the top, the access to these um, top level domains. So if you did it yesterday, you'd have pick a, pick a, pick a, whatever you wanted, dot, um, dot dad, dot PhD, dot prof, dot es Esquire, et cetera. Law, Bob Loblaw.esquire. Kind of unfortunate though, really, because it, in early days of the internet, anybody could register anything, right? So it means only people who have a decent amount of money could get in on any of these early phases and they're going to buy up all the, the, well, uh, the most important names. For what it's worth, back in the day, back in the uh, early and mid, mid 90s, it was really expensive to register a domain. It, was, it wasn't cheap. Um, I remember because I couldn't afford it, but I remember thinking, oh my God, this is a real estate boom and I need to jump in on this. Um, and this, this is a real estate boom, which is hence the incredible price to get in early. Here's just an SEO question for you. Oh, we've been doing these domains, the specialized domains for years now, right? Mm -hmm. How many of them do you ever see rank really well? And I know there's supposedly no issue with them ranking. I see .io's. I really don't see many of the others ever rank. I just think it's, I think it's mostly the way they've been used though, not not so much their existence because I mean, why yeah. shouldn't they rank well? I've seen .business rank. Well, there was a time when there was a ranking preference, but that's supposedly been gone for a long time. Mm -hmm. yeah. There was also so, a time when, when Google would, would absolutely use the TDL for, for say localization or for yeah. sectoralization. Exactly. But that .edu doesn't mean anything anymore, right? Like, like Sadly. anybody can get a .edu, heck. <laughs> Sadly, that's our fault. <laughs> so um, many of us used it for links. So, so the, the top level domains, I, I think Google still extracts a little bit of information from, especially from where they were registered, not necessarily what they say, but where they were registered. Because Google itself is a registrar. So it, it, once you register a domain, Google can look at everything about the registration. Right. Um, uh, 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 so they, again, they should, but I, I see no reason why they shouldn't, except people will link to, there are a lot more .coms, um, people link to .coms, you know what I mean? There's just, chances are a business, most businesses that are out there are already established, so they're on a .com, um, and so the links all go back to the .com, and there go, the .com ranks. Right. So yeah. I, I, do think, I do think, it, and, uh, and I'm referring to the article in Search Engine Journal, uh, I believe, is this a Roger article? Uh, yes, Roger wrote, uh, there, is a, there is a potential security issue with two of the domains, and it is curious why they chose those, because oh. .mov and .zip are extensions, right? Yeah, that's, that's um, true. I saw, yeah, indeed. 
Yeah, so why would you create a, a domain TLD that is the same ending as an extension would be? Like, is this a zip file or is this a domain someone's sending? Yeah, you, you can know easily, what? Like, get people to click on, you know, bad domains thinking it's just a zip file or dot, or .mov file, video file. Like most people aren't worried about a video file. They, I mean, it can be hacked, but it's not common. So. Well, this is the ultimate how do you wrap, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah Anyone so who registered like, MOV, check them out. Yeah, yeah, because it's like the MOV, like you get it in an email and you think, oh, it's just a movie. Oh, I can look at that, right? Oh, no, it could be a domain full of like really bad stuff. Just download it on your computer. So it is interesting and curious why they took those. Roger talks about that in the article, and I agree. It's kind of an odd choice. Um, you know what? I would absolutely agree, and, 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 and so much so it would make me want to stay away from the. But check out those other domains, and if you can, again, if you can afford to get it on the early gold, gold rush, by all means, do it. Um, yeah, if you're a lawyer, Bob Gardner um, will tell yeah. you you could make a <laughs> lot of money on domains. <laughs> but you can't cyber squad anymore. You can't buy somebody else's domain and ask them to pay a lot of money. No, not really. But you back know, in the early days, you could. But if you if you were in yesterday for twelve grand. To get greatest dot dad, um, yeah, you could you if can you can't that. if you can't make twelve grand an hour off greatest dot dad, where you're in the wrong business. Well, heck, or just sell it on the market because somebody will pay, some corporation will pay. You know, Father's Day greatest dot dad, like. So. Okay, so we, we should we got we got about 15, 15, 20 minutes left. Um, we should jump to um, this is I guess our our weekly. John Mueller had to say what. <laughs> uh, 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 segment. Um, John Mueller uh, suggests, <laughs> I wonder why, it's not very good idea to disavow links based solely on third-party metrics. Now, yeah. now, John has been pretty much against disavowing links from the get-go, um, figuring that their power is somewhat negligible. Um, and you might throw the uh, the power of bad links is somewhat negligible. You might throw the baby out with the bad bathwater. The good links, the power of good links, is still manifest. What do you think? Like like disavow? What what, what do you reckon? Well, uh, the disavow, I disagree, with John. That's not useful because I work with sites that are being recovered or being attacked, and you know uh, there are certain hacking things that can happen that will allow links to be counted. So like I worked with a $2 billion you know, a year company who uh, was ranking for a porn term and didn't realize it because it was a porn site was just letters. And uh, as because they also pushed 13 million Russian porn spam links towards the site where they're able to create pages off the search box, um, you know, and make words on the page match the, the link. So Google didn't discount them. So there are times when you need the disavow. I, I agree with John, you do have to be careful. And I always cringe, I do a lot of judging for the award shows. When someone's like our DA value, our domain authority value, or our DR value, and I'm like, oh, those aren't, those are those are just tool metrics. They don't they don't mean anything. I mean, they they're helpful for you to evaluate your own stuff, but they don't mean something to Google. They're not done the same way as Google. So you always have to be careful when you look at those tools that you don't disavow something. I just worked with a company. Couple weeks ago, and I went through their disavow list. I'm like, some of these look like they should be counted. And she went through, and she said, "Oh my gosh, yeah." And it wasn't a lot; it was like 15 or 20, but they were really big domains. The baby in the bathwater. Yeah. So, uh, unfortunately, like when I, uh, Dave and I used to work together, and we did penguin recovery. Dave used like three tools and his own crawler, and then hand went through the whole list. 
before he created Disavow. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, Penguin was uh, one of the things Penguin concentrated on was, you know, uh, link profiles. But, but, uh, but again, if I remember correctly, just uh, just I don't mean to interrupt, it, but something that Penguin settled on was, okay, we know we left webmasters out to drive for even a year at a time between updates. So our um, compromises, we're just not going to count the bad links anymore. Right. But Wasn't that true? That's what they did before Penguin. So before Penguin, you could get like someone would buy links and they would get a boost. And then like three or four months later, they drop and they'd be like, why? Well, because you bought links. Google takes a few months for Google to pick up all your links. They examined your profile. They disavowed your, you know, they devalued your links. So now that value is gone. You have to buy again or do it right and, you know, just acquire them. So yeah, so Penguin was really brutal. But the point of that was is, is Dave would never have just like used one tool and then taken the score from that tool and created a disavow list. He did three tools and his own crawler, and then he hand reviewed it to make sure nothing was eliminated that shouldn't be. Unfortunately, now with all the tools we have, we have SEOs that don't have that history, and they will get the tool report, and then they just start disavowing based on the tool report, not fully understanding that just because you don't know that domain or it sounds weird doesn't mean it's necessarily a bad domain. Also, in every domain pro link profile, there are going to be bad links. So if you have no bad links in your profile, that looks kind of weird too to Google, right? Because why do you have no bad links in your profile? Everyone has cruddy links. You know, somebody scraped your site or, you know, some blog system or whatever. But uh, there, there are reasons to use it, but they're they're much scarcer than they used to be. And there still is a manual action for, you know, bad links. So, uh, but make sure, by the way, you can only access your disavow on in GS Google Search Console with a URL prefix um, report you can't do it from the domain report so just if you're ever looking for it, you're like where is it if you only have a domain report in gsc you won't be able to see it here's one that uh we got a file under um google's wishful thinking and this pretty actually this this i don't understand this announcement google is um okay so so if you were a writer and you um get published in a number of different sources, your work is being syndicated. The original place where it was published is the place that it was originally published. Either it was on your blog or in uh, a newspaper you work for or a publication or whatever. That's the, um, again, that's the, the original piece that should be the canonical where everything is considered in that, that that's everything. Anyone who copies the article, republishes it, should have a canonical tag pointing back to the original source. That's been Google's advice forever, and that seems logical. Um, so if the Winnipeg Star publishes something that its parent newspaper, the Toronto Star, republished, Winnipeg Star republishes it, canonical back to the Toronto Star, and Google knows that the, it's not duplicate content, but republished syndicated content. Apparently that's confusing for Google because they're now suggesting if content is syndicated that the syndicators no index the page. And why would they do that? I have no <laughs> idea. That's what I'm that's what I'm confused about. Yeah. So uh, by the way, Barry Adams. Did I read uh, did I read that right? Yes, you did. I was okay, just saying, so what the Barry, hell? Barry Adams, I just want to get this out there for people if they want to look up the best practices for syndicated content because Barry wrote an excellent article in 2021. He mentioned it on his website this week. 
and it's at SEO for googlenews.com, SEO for googlenews.com. So he's able, he outlines it for people. But basically, yes, Google has been terrible about sourcing content. Now, personally, this is my personal thought, why are they so bad at it? They have a Twitter fire hose, right? They have new sitemaps. Why don't they just do a new sitemap fire hose and go, publish your sitemap before you publish your content, and we will know that is the original source of the content, and then we know that it's you. But they don't do that. So the canonical was supposed to tell Google where the source came from. One, not all syndicators use the canonical. Uh, a lot of times they leave it off. Uh, but the problem is these sites outrank the original content site a lot of the time because Google doesn't give them original source credit, right? Mm -hmm. So so the problem is you have a smaller site that wrote really good content and the bigger sites are getting all the traffic because they're outranking the smaller site. Since Google can't do source content and it doesn't know how to really identify source content, uh, even though it has the canonicals, uh, it, it's just saying to no index because that's the only way they can, this is my guess, because they didn't say this is a reason, but this is my guess. That's the only way they can prevent those other sites from outranking you on your own content. But what publisher in their right mind is going to do that? None, because <laughs> because I've worked, I worked with, a, I've worked with at least seven large publishers. And, you know, a smaller site will write a great article, and, a, and then it goes out to the syndicate. And the, the syndicate site gets all the traffic. So why would they get rid of the ability to get all that traffic? They why wouldn't. do they have your article in the first place? Because it draws traffic. Exactly. And it's and for smaller sites, it's really a lifeline for them because it actually, you know, their stuff gets out there. And they do get credited on the sites that it came from, yada, yada site, you know. But, uh, yeah, I just think Google, unfortunately, is something like hreflang. They've never been able to solve the problem. I don't know why. Uh, but... This one seems like an easy solve. You know, if you can do index now and you can do Twitter firehoses, why can't you just do a news map firehose and say, this is the original content. We give them the credit for that, but they don't. So. It's very, very, I mean, that is, that, that, that one of all the stories we have today, for some reason, that one just frustrates the heck out of me. Yeah, you know, because it's basically Google making a decision without understanding how the real world works. Yeah. And the real world, no publisher is going to no index content they're, they're syndicating. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. Here's an interesting one, uh, one that uh, uh, users uh, or, or SEOs should definitely, definitely know about. Discovery is becoming more, more, a more important source of traffic, um, especially as uh, Google looks to um, make its presence in the mobile environment more fun. <laughs> um, I can't, well, seriously. Um, so Google Discover, Google Discover won't show content that would be filtered out if you have safe search on. So don't expect, um, well, you know, anything that safe search would, 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 would filter out is, n is not going to be discovered for Google uh, uh, Discover. So there you go. It's important to know. There you go. Um, and if you want to, so so the hint there, um, you might want to look at safe search guidelines um, when it comes to um, stuff that will filter into uh, Google Discover. Don't violate those guidelines. There is a way to ask them to reconsider, but um, they're pretty confident if they've marked you as not safe that you're not safe. Yeah, and if you have to ask Google to reconsider something they've considered, it's probably going to take a while. Yeah. Um, although you know, I have seen them. I've been, I've been, I've been playing around a lot with uh, crawled but not indexed um, in, uh, in in crawl reports, and you can um, you can actually prompt a 
if you if you fix the problems on, on, on your page, you can prompt action from Google pretty quickly. So you can you can appeal digitally. You just can't talk to them about it. You got that. <laughs> um, okay. Um, so for the umpteenth time, E E A T is a concept, a really important concept. Much like look both ways before you cross the road. You don't have to look both ways. You can still cross the road without looking both ways. But if you look both ways, you'll probably have better outcomes. Similarly, if you think about what Google has told its quality raters um, it wants to see in content, um, experienced, expertise, authoritative, and trustworthy content while you're writing it, while you're creating it, if these are your goals while you're making content, if you, you know, like, like with reviews, you actually let people who've used the product make the reviews, stuff like that. You will probably do better in Google, but none of that is measured in any way as a ranking factor. It's right. all part of a greater formula, but you yeah. can't quantify any of those pieces. So that's where people get kind of lost in the detail. So the quality readers guide is a QA document for people who don't understand how Google works, right? So Google makes an algorithm change and they send it out to a bunch of quality readers and they go, this is what we were trying to do, rate our results. And they use the quality rater guide details to help them rate the results that Google's looking for. That got out into the SEO world. I forget when it was, but it got leaked. And then Google just decided to keep publishing it to us. So we know it's there. But there's been confusion that the things in there are ranking signals. So um, it'll say something like use an author. It also says, by the way, you don't need an author, but people miss that. Use an author, right? Or someone with experience, but Google doesn't know that that person has experience. They're using other signals to determine that or determine if the content is good. So as Jim said, it's a concept, which is great, but don't go through the quality raters guide and start looking at every detail and going, oh, I must add this and I must add this because these are ranking. Well, I'm, I'm gonna say straight up, with the word experience, when it comes to product reviews, Google's a stickler about this. Experience actually counts. It does. When it comes to product reviews, allow the people who bought the product and who went and used it in their backyard or their kitchen or their garage or wherever the heck they used it, allow them to review it. And if they're actual product users, Google will love you. Yes, and I think, and also if you're writing a site about a product and you're doing reviews yourself, you want to make sure you have like, let's say it's golf, you have a golf pro that talks about the specific, you know, use of that club, how they used it, what they liked about it. But remember, Google is not looking at that golf pro and going, we know who this golf pro is, and now we know its experience. They're using their, you know, their machine learning, most likely, and I'm going to guess, this is just me, that they check the entities and their semantic relationships. Like if I write about golf and I know about golf, I'm going to write closer to certain, the topic. Exactly. Oh my God. This is exactly, I was yeah. saying this months ago. If yeah. you're an expert in a certain topic, you're going to write about it in a certain way. Yes. And Google can evaluate that with their machine learning without having to know who every author or ex expert is in the world. How would they ever do that, by the way? But they can tell by the machine learning because they have the topical mesh and they know that if you know about these things, you're going to be using these kind of terms for these kind of relationships. And so... Some, someone on Fiverr who has no experience isn't going to probably do that well, but the golf pro is. So then Google can rate that it has experience plus your grammar, right? I used, I did, we did, I saw, that kind of thing. So, um, but that's there where- There you go. But Jack Nicholas, 
who is a much better golfer, Tiger Woods, who is a much better golfer than I am, will not rank for better content than I will about how a golf club or golf swing works, how a course was or whatever, just because they're Jack Nicholson or Tiger Woods, they'll rank better than me because they know the subject better. Well, and also, so I always say to, to people that I consult with, Mind right, you, I know you golf. Need, uh, you need your writers to write with experience, but they don't have to be experts. So if I have a writer that's good, like you're a great writer, Jim. Well, I was about to say, and, mind you, I know golf and I can write really well. Yeah, but I could say like, because you write about golf and you go, I'll research golf and I will see what I need to know and I will write that. And that's writing with expertise and experience. And that's what Google's looking for. Google's not looking for you to spend, tell Doc, get Jack Nicholson to write a $10,000 article although if you did you'd get more traffic only because jack nichols's name yes. would be out there that he wrote this article um because because sometimes people use famous authors and they go see we got a boost they know the author no the author has a much bigger search visibility you know they and their knowledge graph is much wider than you know nobody so that's why you might get more traffic out of that but uh yeah exactly so it's 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 writing with experience writing with expertise not that you have to go pay someone ten thousand dollars to write you an article so importantly, Google um, talked about how its systems um, identify and um, suss out content that, and here's the, here's the cool thing, when addressing um, EEAT, they actually used the phrase helpful, the word I should say, helpful. So they didn't say that they're using their systems to prioritize content that seems to be based on um, EEAT, um, expertise, experience, um, uh, authoritative trustworthiness. They talk about helpfulness. So think of EEAT, the sum of all of that put together is helpfulness. Getting the user from point A to point B with a lot of good knowledge. Yeah, so let's add just one last thing to this. I'm not saying we know this, I'm just saying this is my thought, but that the new Google guidelines Google's putting out for content plus adding experience to eat, I think is because that differentiates it from AI content without knowing it's AI content. There's also other content out there that doesn't write well and it would also be affected like say in a helpful content update. But I do think it's a way to differentiate between just straight ChatGPT, we edited a little through it on the web, and then actual real useful, helpful content. And by the way, Google's already being inundated with 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 crap tons of, of AI content. Yeah. So we're we're going to see its effect really soon. It's gonna get that's gonna get quite interesting. Okay, I think we've got time for like one more. And um let's 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 do this on a, on a uh, sort of a hopeful thing. Um We've ragged on TikTok a lot because of it is a massive being a massive security concern, and it is. But um, you can't let a story like this go past without mentioning it. <laughs> For certain publishers, and you got to be a, 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 a premium publisher to get this deal from TikTok, but it suggests that other good deals for other tiers of publishers are coming. Um, TikTok's new ad product is going to give premium publishers a 50% stake in um, ad revenues. Now, um, uh, Google Ads has done that for years. Done, done a very easy 50-50 split with the, with, the, with, the, with, the, with the webmaster. 
but in this environment, um, I don't think YouTube gives a gives a deal like that. Um, in this environment, to give publishers fifty percent of such volume, that's an extraordinary deal. It is, and also on top of that, if you're a super influencer on TikTok, or they just decide there is a manual button that gives you super push into the network. So it's a great deal for TikTok because they can use those influencers in your profile, but they'll probably also be using the, the super boost with the ad stuff. So they'll make more money. Um, it's, uh, it's, 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 again, this specific um, offering is for super premium publishers. We're talking at the Condé Nast, BuzzFeed, and NBC level. But um, again, it's highly likely that this will um, flow down to other other content creators in the future, um, or better at better rev splits. Um, given that many people are making their living on, on just being guides to life these days, yeah, um, this is news you got to know. It is. It's definitely because at least they're sharing. They may be taking all our data, but at least they're giving money back. <laughs> Um, okay, last point. While we were preparing the show today, we were um, we, we, we do a lot of work in Google Sheets and um, Google, Microsoft, um, everybody is introducing AIs to their offerings. One of the cool experiences I had, uh, Christine often used short, uses short forms for Microsoft, for Google, whatever, GEOG or MSFT for Microsoft. And um, this is you know, shorthand that everybody uses. I, I draw my, 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 my mouse over one of her notes has MSFT, Microsoft. Um, that's that's the stock tick symbol for them though. As I drew my mouse over it, suddenly a quick graph comes up and a whole bunch of like immediate stock information fills in. I've never seen it happen in Google Sheets, that happened in Google Sheets before. Introduction of AI products to um, everything around us is happening really, really, really rapidly. And I think our experiences with a bunch of the products that we use, um, especially ones that are in the um, services of software um, universe, are about to be fundamentally and radically changed. Um, and that was just a, a fun experience while putting this, this, this very show together. Yeah, unfortunately, I can't replicate it, but that does sound pretty cool. Um, you know what? It, 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 it might be the the machine I'm on or the um, the, the account that I'm accessing. I'm this, I'm accessing not my personal account, but, but through my business account. Um, so oh. that it might be that. Um, yeah. Plus I'm on a Mac. <laughs> plus you're on a Mac. Yeah. Us, on a Mac. us PC people get everything these days, eh? <laughs> <laughs> All, oh. Including viruses. <laughs> exactly. Um, check out Microsoft. Um, Bing and Edge are bringing tons of AI to pretty much everything you do, and they're opening it up to third-party de developer integration. Um, I don't know what future of search is now. I'm hoping it's friendly. Yeah, let's hope. <laughs> um, by the way, just so people are, are widely aware, as of the time of this recording, there is uh, 57 days nine hours and zero minutes to update to um, GA4 from UA3 because we've gone full clock. It's um, top of the hour at time of recording. So on behalf of Christine Jackinger from Sites Without Walls, this is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media. You've been listening to Webcology on WMR.fm on the 4th of May, 2023. May the 4th be with you. 
be well, be kind, rank well, and uh, stay healthy. We'll talk to you next week. Hi, everybody. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited.